0: Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week, in the first of a short series of special programmes, we're looking back at the recent UBS European Conference and picking out a few of the key panels and themes to explore in greater depth. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking monetary policy on both sides of the pond and we'll take a deeper dive into private equity too. Today, though, we're starting with cryptocurrencies. Joining us for more on that is James Malcolm, UBS Head of FX Strategy and Cryptocurrency Research. James's responsibilities in UBS Investment Bank includes cryptos, particularly tokens. James and his colleagues seek, amongst other things, to better understand how these things trade with an eye to one day being ready to go should they get that mandate. James Malcolm, a warm welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Now, before we talk about the conference panel you featured on, give us a bit of a a wrap of how things have been going. What's shaped 2022 so far in the crypto space? Or is it more instructive to look at where we are right now compared to this time last year? Give us a bit of a, a wrap up of how things have been going.
1: 12 months ago to the day today, uh, which was the peak in Bitcoin, just below 69,000. And that was more or less a peak in kind of retail frenzy, especially towards cryptocurrency tokens. And on the back of that, institutions, particularly traditional financial institutions, I would say, feeling immense pressure to start offering access to these kinds of products to their clients. Over the course of the last year, it's difficult to exaggerate how much that characterization has inverted. You know, a year on, Bitcoin price is down about 75 percent. Some of the smaller, less liquid coins, uh, even more than that. We've had a number of bankruptcies, particularly in the first half of the year, but even over the course of this week, um, other very big names uh, in the press in trouble or going out of business and the participation in the market particularly for the retail side of things interest completely evaporated and from high net worth individuals and the likes similar kind of thing i would say what's continued on the institutional side of things people are very interested in terms of how to get access for the medium term and the interest is perhaps more on the technological side in terms of what blockchain and DLT applications to traditional financial payments, settlement and the likes could do. So the discussion has changed pretty, pretty
0: dramatically over the last year. Well, yeah, and if we sort of then look at the next 12 months and, and look ahead into 2023, James, what should people be, be be thinking about? Because I guess one area which has been of enduring interest is this question of regulation. Maybe we'll come on to that. But perhaps you could just put a couple of flags up for us about the kinds of things we should be looking out for shaping the narrative in the next 12 months.
1: Yeah, trying to guess what's going to happen over the next year <laughs> would leave us all with egg on our face, especially at the beginning of 2022. You know, I think what we could have said and what we did say at the beginning of this year was that this was going to be an extraordinarily difficult year for crypto for several reasons. One was that regulation was finally coming in the sense that regulators had been looking at this for quite a while and were getting to the point of starting to act. Two was that we had been through this extraordinary period of very easy liquidity, which was accelerated by obviously the, the public response to, to COVID in a number of countries, and that as the Fed uh, and other central banks started to raise interest rates and that excess liquidity began to disappear from the system, that crypto would be uniquely challenged by that. And three, we made the case that the technology in crypto, which was often blindly characterized as kind of next generation and obviously better than everything else, was still very fragile. And therefore, even in things like DeFi, we continue to see enormous amounts of hacks and problems with code and and various things like that. So with that kind of lens, as we think about 2023, I think we could say it's likely to be a considerably easier year in terms of the policy backdrop. We got some hint of that yesterday with the uh, CPI print uh, from the US coming in with a downside surprise for the first time since May and a repricing of of the Fed accordingly. We could also say that an awful lot of the froth has already come out of crypto markets. And so this kind of Panglossian characterization has changed a lot. But we can also say that in terms of traditional financial institutions and central banks and the likes, interest in the underlying technology has continued. And therefore, for 2023, we're going to be grappling with quite a few of these these things in terms of, you know, what's going to happen with central bank digital currencies, how will they sit against things like stable coins, to what degree is regulation going to hamper or facilitate different investor cohorts being involved in a more kind of mainstream way in terms of trading some of these tokens and so on. So I think it's likely to be a less exciting year. It will have some elements of this year continuing into it. But for people who are more interested in the speculative side of things, I think the takeaway from this year and from where we are at the moment, interest rates are now way higher than they were a year ago. There's a lot more risk premium in traditional asset markets. Equities have repriced very considerably. So if you're interested in picking an asset which might appreciate considerably, there's much more choice now than perhaps there was a year ago, and that will lead people away from crypto and back towards the mainstream, I think, in terms of, of kind of that speculative interest.
0: Yeah, it's re- really interesting. Just to pick up on the regulatory points, because you touched upon it there, James, briefly, how much closer are we to greater clarity here? I, it seems that certainly stateside, and we know the US is important in this space, there is greater clarity in terms of who takes charge of of this sector. But are we getting any closer in terms of agreeing even on, you know, standardised terms and and, and definitions? You know, what constitutes a a security? In some ways, it feels we're as far away as ever. Is there good direction of travel on those kinds of considerations?
1: You know, the right way to characterise this is that there has been huge progress. Some of this was already obvious. Some of it has really been kind of solidified over the last year. Uh, One of the most important ones is this idea of same risk, same regulation and that's gonna reverberate throughout. But you see this in things like the Financial Action Task Force, you see it at the IMF level, you see it at the Bank of International Settlements, you see regulators in every country essentially singing from the same hymn sheet. Now, on a country by country basis, the approach differs and is still somewhat spotty. What we can say about the US, for example, is that the Biden administration has taken a very sort of comprehensive approach to this Uh, with the executive order earlier this year and now something like 11 or 12 different reports that were required from that in and likely to form the basis for future regulatory approaches and, and possibly even legislation. Now there are still issues like who actually takes charge in terms of main regulator in the US. SEC is much more geared up on the consumer side of things, CFTC more so for derivatives and institutional markets in many respects, but there will be overlap. They will work together. The definition of a security, which I think in most regards for crypto has been pretty clear, it leaves one or two areas unclear. And one of those is where Bitcoin itself falls. The other one is where Ethereum falls and whether or not Ethereum status changes as a result of the shift to proof of stake that we saw more recently. But most of the projects, I think in the US, you know, the vast majority of the 20 something thousand coins we have out there, Uh, Gary Gensler's been very, very clear that these fall as securities. If you look at other countries, other regions, Europe, for example, we've had this markets and crypto assets legislation that's been worked on for several years. It's been submitted, it's not been fully voted through, that will happen early to mid next year, and then it will be another full year before implementation. So On the one hand, this sort of 2024 is a timeline when things are going to harden up in a range of countries. I think that's fairly common. In other respects, that 2024 deadline means that already the clarity for how things are shaping up is much better. Countries like the UK pursue their own regulation, but at the same time, broadly fulfill all of the same kinds of things that have been pushed in other countries. And in Asia, we have one or two countries like Hong Kong and Dubai, for example, which are making more of a bid to be a crypto hub and a digital assets hub. And we have other countries like Japan and Singapore, who are somewhat more cautious and on the margins, certainly somewhat more cautious. But all in all, you know, I don't think there's going to be a great deal of scope for for regulatory arbitrage here. Regulators globally recognise the issues, recognise the problems and, you know, are moving forward to the point at which crypto companies, crypto projects will end up regulated just like regular financial, traditional financial institutions.
0: Yeah, one uh, sort of UBS hypothesis that I wanted to ask you about briefly in this space, James, was this idea before that the future doesn't necessarily favour crypto native or or as against public or traditional financial institutions, but actually it's sort of a, the future favours, you know, more like a, a hybrid model. Have we seen more evidence of that hypothesis being validated in the past few months?
1: I think pretty much by the week, uh, you know, data, data stories, news continue to come out to that effect. And it's so straightforward. If you set up a shop uh, on your street corner selling, I don't know, shoes or croissants or something like that, you probably need some license from the local authority, but not a huge amount. If you want to go and set up a bank or a financial institution that takes people's cash in deposits or does trading business for them, you're subject to a massive amount of extra legislation and licenses and things like that, that you need and auditing and the likes. And that's simply because financial enterprises are different from non-financial enterprises. So it was always going to be the case that if a financial enterprise using crypto or DeFi grew to the point that it was material, that regulators would have to take that kind of interest. Most of the debacles that we've seen over the course of the last year in terms of failures in the space, have been simply illustrations of why that needs to be true. So if you think about what crypto native companies have to offer in the space and what traditional financial institutions offer or have to offer in the space, That makes perfect sense. There's a huge amount of overlap where institutions can work together. Traditional financial institutions, we have, you know, the client base. We have build up of of trust uh, from those clients and we have lots of experience in ops and infrastructure and dealing with regulators and these sorts of things. And we have all of the compliance and legal in place. That's not to say we always get it right. But by contrast, the crypto native players, they probably have a better handle on elements of the technology, but they are starting off from a much worse place in terms of most of those other things. And so it's natural that in some shape or form, things will come together. And essentially over time, this is the way that finance and financial technology progresses. It progresses more by evolution than by revolution. We wrote a piece a year or so ago, essentially characterizing the impact of the blockchain and DLT on traditional finance as likely to be a significant evolutionary step as opposed to a revolution where it would supplant most of the existing technology.
0: James, one thing I I wanted to pick up on briefly, which I think your panel at the European Conference touched upon, was this idea of competition from CBDC, central bank digital currencies. And maybe for the uninitiated, just remind us, well, actually remind us, take a step back and remind us what, what those are, why they're different, and why that's interesting, this idea of the kind of competition they may be providing.
1: Yeah, so this is the idea that digital dollars in the form of stablecoins, for example, so digital representations of tokens, which have caught on in a big way in the real world, particularly for financing and facilitating a lot of speculation in crypto, and increasingly on the margin for things like um, international payments and transfers and so on. This is the idea that central banks can do this themselves in terms of upgrading some of the technology and so on behind, you know, behind existing payment systems that they sponsor, and the infrastructure particularly in terms of providing what works in terms of bank ledgers and bank deposits directly on the blockchain. So there are lots and lots of these projects that are underway at the moment, something like 80 or 85% of all of the central banks in the world have pilot projects underway at the moment. Different central banks seem to be taking different approaches. On the one end of the scale, you have the US government and the Fed in particular, and they have various projects here, but the approach in the US seems to be at the moment that they don't believe that the benefits of moving towards digital dollars per se, blockchain-based you know, issuance of the domestic currency would be a big benefit. And so it seems likely that the US will be very slow to move in that direction. At the opposite extreme is China. Uh, and China has been experimenting for the last couple of years with this e uh, the electronic Remimbi, which is a retail central bank digital currency. That's to say that um, average man in the street can have a digital wallet with their account at least up into some, some degree directly with the central bank as opposed to with a, with a commercial banking institution. And in China's case, I would say this is very clearly a pushback against some loss of control of the payment system with things like Alipay and WePay, uh, WeChat Pay taking on you know, such strong growth in recent years. So in China's case, it's more about reasserting hedge money in certain aspects of the payments regime. In the US case, it's that we don't see a huge amount of of benefit, at least at the wholesale level of doing this. And European governments tend to sit somewhere in the middle They're pushing ahead with CBDC issuance plans and policies. It will take several years, but it will likely, at least initially, only be rolled out at the wholesale level. And in that sense, it won't make very much difference to the man in the street. There may be some cost savings and faster settlement associated with that, but it's not something that your mother is likely to notice in terms of the way that she goes about her her everyday life.
0: James Malcolm, just before we go, I know there were a couple of other aspects you were going to briefly mention for us. Some interesting areas of tension, other things to watch. One is
1: is a little bit more difficult to have a strong view on, but it may be worth kind of setting out some of the parameters. And that's the tension between stablecoin issuers at the moment, things like Circle and Tether and DAI and traditional financial institutions, projects, things like this finality project, for example, or JP Morgan coin, or even CBDCs. So the question there, at least in my mind, is will, these crypto native providers like Tether, like Circle, actually be around in two or three years time or not. And then the other thing is the fallout for FTX, which everybody wants to talk about. You know, we're not in the business of of saying what's going to happen here. But the takeaways, I think, from this are pretty clear. A, this is unlikely to be a Lehman's moment because we've already had a lot of the deleveraging. B, the size of the crypto market now is absolutely tiny. Even a year ago, it was still very, very small and received a disproportionate amount of news coverage. It was about $3 trillion a year ago. To put that in context, the gold market alone is about $12 trillion. The equity market is over a hundred trillion dollars. And today the crypto market is about 870 billion. Bitcoin is only about 330 billion. Something like Ethereum is 150 billion. But when you get down to even coins like uh, Solana and Cardano and Polkadot and so on, you're talking about coins with a market cap of five, seven billion dollars. These are absolutely tiny in terms of you know the grand scheme of things. So the the spillover now from problems in crypto is likely to be very very modest, and the see I think the third you know carryover from this or takeaway from this is where we thought regulation was going to be, you know, much more severe anyway. This will just mean that the bar is even higher and the delay for any kind
0: of institutional adoption is just pushed even further out at the moment. James Malcolm. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club by subscribing to Monocle magazine. You can also follow this show wherever you get your podcasts or discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.